0: Love, Talk Radio.
1: Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life. Tonight, I have the great pleasure of welcoming my very special guest, Jamie Parganos, who works as a press liaison in the occupied Wall Street movement in lower Manhattan while we're waiting for Jamie to call in, um, I think it would be productive to just talk a little bit about what that movement has accomplished so far uh, it's pretty amazing how a small group of people have really captured the attention of the world uh, occupied wall street has been going on for perhaps one maybe two months in a park in downtown manhattan i actually visited the site last friday and was very impressed with the seriousness of the people and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, hold on. I think we have Jamie. Are you there?
0: Yes, I am. Hi. How are you? Is it a good
1: connection? Uh, uh, it's a very good connection. Um okay, I was great. just uh, telling the audience how uh, I met you actually last Friday when I came to... Um, Uh, to actually see what was going on at Occupied Wall Street. Am I correct in assuming that the movement has been going on for about one to two months? Am I in the right ballpark as far as the time goes?
0: In terms of this particular aspect of it, yes. Uh, But from my understanding, it was being planned months in advance, um there were meetings taking place uh that followed the general assembly format as early as august uh but several several different organizations uh were participating and individuals not affiliated with organizations uh when we heard about the uh protest uh you know we just basically showed up and uh it took off from there and has culminated into what it is now today
1: Right. And so so that's approximately 4 to 6 weeks that people have been um using that space in downtown Manhattan.
0: Yes, uh it started on September 17th. Uh October 17th was the 1 month anniversary.
1: Right. Oh, very interesting. Um Jamie, if you could for our audience, if you could give a little bit of your own background and also what prompted you to get involved with the Occupied Wall Street movement?
0: Sure. Um, Well, basically I used to be uh, an administrator for the United Federation of Teachers. I ran an after-school program for them um, in East New York, Brooklyn, and uh, I have a degree from uh, the CUNY system in uh, international politics. So I've always sort of been active. In the political scene, you know, attending protests, doing what I could, writing letters, trying to be active, and then even through my work itself, uh, you know, working in education and working in uh, impoverished neighborhoods such as East New York, um, I was always sort of being active. And uh, my specialty would be, you know, sort of international policies, Um, you know, the austerity measures of the IMF, and so things like that have been things that I focused on. Uh, And also, uh, my father is a Vietnam veteran, uh, so I think that that inspired a lot of my political activism because just seeing what he went through um, and knowing what we found out subsequently about the war um, and about some of the strategies that were employed, um, you know, it was kind of disappointing. Uh, So that's another reason why I kind of became inspired to become an activist. In terms of Occupy Wall Street, um, I had no idea that it was going to uh, sort of explode the way it, it did. Um, I'm always attending protests, um, you know, in New York to sort of voice my opinion when I when I have the opportunity to. Uh, but I had no idea that, you know, this would turn into a movement.
1: Well, I don't think anyone did, and it's sure. very hard to even, you know... Um, qualify or quantify what it is because it's evolving just as we speak.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: Uh, right. Uh, so you got involved with this about, what, four weeks ago?
0: Um, I got involved. Uh, I was there not physically but in spirit and helping some people that were down there for the first week, but that was only because I had sustained an injury um but after uh so i was recuperating but after the injury healed uh which was about a week and maybe a, a week and a half into it i started going down there physically um you know i would have liked to have been there since the beginning but uh you know like i said i was there uh helping out people remotely as much as i could
1: now how would you describe the group of people that are there at Occupied Wall Street, and obviously there's going to be a wide range, but what's your take on on the demographic, the mix? How would you describe the average protester or activist that's participating in Occupied Wall Street?
0: Um, it's really difficult to, to, uh, to establish an average. I, I did read an article yesterday where someone had gone through the park and surveyed people and tried to make percentages and statistics, but Then again, it depends what time of day they were there uh, because there are all kinds of people coming through there uh, throughout the morning, evening, up until, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, You know, Alec Baldwin showed up last night uh, at midnight, the night before that, I'm sorry. Or was it last night? I don't remember which one. But um, basically, uh, there's all types of people there, uh, anything from students, uh, to people uh, in their 30s, all races, ethnicities, gender, um, people that are employed, people that are unemployed. Uh, there are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, uh, Communists. Uh, there are all types of people down there uh, united under one common um Concern, which is basically that uh corporate greed and uh banking greed has sort of pervaded every aspect of our culture
1: okay and I made our environment that. It, and, are you talking about the famous one percent
0: the famous one percent now uh that happened to be a moniker that was adopted by the movement um but the truth of the matter is in my opinion, and I can't speak for everybody there, which is. You know, another thing I'd like to um, make clear that my opinion doesn't reflect everyone there. Um, In my opinion, you know, it should be 100%, um, because basically we're all sort of victims of this system, and we've all perpetuated it. And a lot of us have upheld a lot of these, you know, cultural uh, standards that greed was good and wealth is something to be rewarded and looked up to. So for us to turn around now and say, you know, it's the 1% fault, I mean, yes, they should be held accountable, but I think we should all start, you know, looking at you know, I'm glad it as a whole. I'm,
1: I'm really glad you mentioned that because, uh, you know, in just from my observation of what went on over the last few years since 2008 when we had problems with a lot of financial institutions and large corporations and there was the bailout. I also came to the same conclusion that greed was something that the average American had adopted as part of his or her life. And I also feel like you do, that although you know it's part of the slogan, and I guess it's a rallying cry, 1%, and we're the 99 percenters, I think that's also been bantered about, that it, in, in a certain way everyone supported Everyone supported the ethos of the culture Which became a very greedy culture
0: Yes, I agree 100% Uh, It's pervaded every aspect of our culture And I think it's time for us to sort of have a cultural uh, revolution In a sense Um, And I spoke to you a little bit about this Uh, We're basically promoting a culture of participation now Um, the, uh, The revolution will not be emailed, basically We need to get up and start showing our faces. Um, and for even those of us that can't do that, for you know, we have a lot of time constraints. We have children. You have a lot of things going on. Um, at least participate as much as you can, you know, in in some right. cause that that means something to you.
1: I think you called it a culture of involvement.
0: Yeah, culture of involvement. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: and and that certainly can't be a bad thing in what is supposed to be a democracy.
0: Yes, 100%. Um, we we used to operate under the sense that our representatives were representing us, but unfortunately, because of profit incentives and lobbying and campaign financing, they no longer represent our best interests. And a lot of the times, some of the decisions, I mean, a lot of people operate under the assumption that, you know, these people know what they're doing. Um, they're going to take care of us. You know, they know more about it than we do. When in reality, you know, a lot of it is almost sociopathic, some of the uh, legislation that gets passed, some of the things that um, are allowed to slide in terms of environmental devastation um, and just the economy in general and the health of the nation's economy and the global economy.
1: Right. And, you know, it, I'm not actively involved in the political process, and I'm not a legislator. But just from observing what's gone on over the last couple of years, it just seems as though there's such polarization in Washington. Um, Not so much in New York State in terms of being able to get together and pass legislation, but in the Capitol, uh, in Washington. And it seems as though there's basically two camps, and there's a lack of respect by each part for the other. And... I personally I think that has contributed to the you know the sense of futility that a lot of Americans feel when they look at Congress and like you said these people are supposed to represent our best interests but it has evolved into something that's not quite like that.
0: Yeah and the ironic thing about the divisiveness is to a lot of us they seem exactly the same. Uh we we can't really come up with concrete things that differentiate them. I mean Obama's number one campaign contributor was J.P. Morgan Chase. A lot of the legislation that he's passed, in terms of uh, you know our wars and stuff like that, extension of the Patriot Act, it's the same stuff that was going on before. Um, so I think for a lot of us, there's you know we we we're just disappointed that there there, there is this huge divisiveness going on, and for the people that are Democrat or Republican. No, I can't speak for them, but for a lot of us it's uh we don't see the difference really. We just see politics right. as usual. With right. a different we name get on in, it.
1: Yeah, before we get into some of the specifics that you've seen in Occupied Wall Street, I want to just cover two points. First, do you see any relationship between Occupied Wall Street and what went on in the so called Arab Spring?
0: Um yes i mean definitely that was an influential factor in making it sort of kick off uh i mean with with the global revolution live stream with the uh with youtube and all the videos and then just the networking online that went through um not just the arab spring but uh other countries and the people um in our movement uh that definitely helped facilitate it and get it you know uh inspired it in a sense Um, there are activists that have come down from Spain uh, from Greece to help us facilitate this process so yes there's definitely a connection and uh, a lot of the rhetoric coming from some people is that it is uh, it is sort of modeled after that in some sense
1: and I, and I guess it's more, from your point of view, it's at least inspired by how much it's modeled by it is up to debate. Yes, yes. I um, mean, we're doing, talk-
0: We're each place, each occupies is doing their own thing. I mean, we have sort of a blueprint for it. And we've been going around and trying to help the other, you know, occupations, giving them some advice and strategies. But each one is going to be different based on your community. And that's really how it should be. We we need to start acting locally and thinking globally. You know, because our local communities are are you know where we need to focus.
1: Right, but always with always being mindful of what's going on in the world and the impact exactly. on the world too. Exactly. I, I like that. Um, Could you talk a little bit about the decision-making process within Occupied Wall Street, how you think it differs from, say, standard corporations or other institutions that you've become a part of?
0: Sure. Um, Well, basically we're using a consensus model right now. Um, So, you know, even if we have uh, levels of organization, such as uh, the working groups that we've developed, um, just to give you a brief rundown of that, Uh, We have a working group for education and empowerment. We have a town planning working group that decides how we're going to use the space. We have an arts and culture working group. We have economic working groups. Um, And basically, after we come to some sort of consensus amongst ourselves, we bring stuff to the General Assembly, and uh, we work through the issue until everyone agrees on what is the best course of action to take. Right. Uh so that's different because it's not, you know, an executive decision. Um you can you can feel like your a voice is being heard and you can be assured that your interests are being uh represented in through this method. Mhm.
1: Well, it it sounds almost like grassroots democracy to me.
0: Yes, exactly. That's how I would describe it.
1: Um let me, even though you personally don't think that the one percent, you know, should bear the blame of all the ills of society, culturally and economically. Let's talk about this division that that has been, you know, the, the moniker of the one percent versus the ninety nine percent. Do you, since, since personally you think that everyone is somewhat responsible for the ethos of the society and perpetuating, you know, the value system of society which one could describe as money at any, co- at, at any cost.
0: Yeah, um, profit at any cost, yeah.
1: Profit at any cost. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that has filtered down throughout every level of society. So do you have an objection as a result about targeting the 1% as being, you know, the focus of blame and, you know, ills of society? Do you think that that's a bad strategy to adopt?
0: No, I don't think it's a bad strategy as it's proven to be uh quite successful. Um I I do think that those people do need to be held accountable. I do think people need to know who they are, what are their names, um what is, you know,
1: but, uh, let's let's stop there when you say they need to be held accountable for what exactly in your opinion?
0: Uh sure for for continuing to amass wealth um exorbitant amounts of wealth and uh usually through some sort of corrupt uh you know system um and being proud of it basically we need to start calling them out and uh saying who, what their names are uh again this is that that uh accountability issue
1: right you know it's funny i'm i'm going to I'm going to actually play devil's advocate here and, and Sure, no what you just said. Um because, you know, I've found from whatever business dealings I've had in my life that being greedy and being selfish is without question not confined to any particular group in society. And in a sense from what you said, and I understand it's it, it it's it's a good talking point to, you know, the 1% and the 99ers, but you know, sure. uh, But but in reality Um, it could include people who were just plain smarter and worked harder to amass the wealth and had just like a great idea. For instance, let's talk about Steve Jobs. He would definitely be one of the one percenters. Would that be somebody who you'd want to hold accountable for something, especially considering that he's, he's, he's generously contributed to philanthropy all over the world?
0: Um, That's a really good question. Um, I definitely think there are levels of corruption. I know that there is a group called Occupy the Boardroom that specifically focuses on banking institutions, financial institutions, um, corporations that, uh, you know, send a lot of their work overseas. I'm not an expert on Apple, so i can I would have right. to research that. I would have to right. research their policies. I don't know everything about every business you know right um right i yeah, so I do believe that we could have businesses that perform with a set of morals um but as, in speaking. terms of Apple's particular uh policies i'm not an expert on that unfortunately, right. I can't because.
1: You know. You know, here again, continuing just to to question this, and I understand it's been an effective rallying point, the one percenters versus the ninety-nine percenters. But I was thinking before this interview, hey, what about people in the top five percent, or ten percent, or even top twenty percent in terms of um, the economic wealth? Couldn't you take the position that anyone in the top twenty percent is is subjugating? The the bottom eighty percent in classical almost Marxian terms of sub, of you know subjugating the proletariat.
0: Um.
1: Because that's what this reminds me. I think that there there, there should the be
0: there should be a room uh, there should be room if people want to preserve capitalism. You know, there should be room for people to be able to do that. But at the same time, we have a system of of slavery going on in a sense. I mean, you have people working for two dollars a day, you know, making our clothes. Where is that?
1: Where uh, globally, globally in the United States, you know. Though. Yep. Yeah, globally. Right. No,
0: not in the United but, States, but it's United right. States companies that are you right. know participating in this. And, not, uh, not right. Sure. I mean, there are people living in poverty here in the United States, and there are plenty Absolutely. of people who can't find jobs, and one of the reasons is Absolutely. because of that. Um, and, so, go
1: ahead. And I was going to say, there are so many points that we've raised in the last minute or so, so many issues that sort of coalesce, and, yeah. you know... And one of the things that I think is very productive about our discussion is that we have the opportunity to see if we can't take them apart and make some sense out of them, you know. Um, and when I raise the, the thing about, well, why not the top 5%, why not the top 10% or even the top 20%, you know, it it seems to be like an arbitrary figure. as if, And, and I really don't believe that if somebody is in the top 1% of wealth in this country, that there's more of reason to believe that they've they've achieved their wealth through being greedy or manipulating other people than anybody else who's in the bottom 99. Mm-hmm. percent I don't believe that's true. Uh, that 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 necessarily follows from the amount of wealth that they've accumulated. But I understand. Okay. But I, I understand that that in the climate that we have right now, where a lot of people have trouble finding jobs where there's a lot of student loan debt and where there obviously has been a housing crisis for the last three years that it really is almost convenient to look at these groups of billionaires. I guess the top 1% includes billionaires. Am I correct about that?
0: Yeah, the the thing with the 1% is that they're distorting our economy because there's been a larger concentration of wealth uh, right. In recent times, in the one percent, and that sort of is a problem. Um, well,
1: I'd like to talk about that a little bit more because sure. it's I, usually high I level
0: management in the financial sector. It's not, you know, Will mm-hmm. Chamberlain. Right. You know what I mean? But
1: but, but what I find w- what has happened in the last several years is that at the same time that the concentration of wealth has gone into fewer hands, we've also had a lot of problems with the overall economy. That's affected everybody. You will agree to that. Well, let me ask you something. Do you you think that if the national economy did not implode starting in 2008, that people would be so objectionable to people who have gathered such enormous wealth, that this top 1%, Um, do you think that there would be such a focus on them if the rest of the population was sort of doing okay?
0: Um, I'm not a sociological expert, but uh, I do think that that's part of the impetus for a lot of people, you know, just unemployment. A lot of people are just motivated by that basic need for survival, and they're not able to do it anymore, so that has motivated them to go out on the street. Right. But there's been a culture... Developing over sort of the last decade uh where people were becoming aware of the wealth uh this, this disparity in wealth and there have been a lot of documentaries that were released, starting with michael moore's documentaries uh up until today the documentaries about the uh, corporations documentaries about uh, fracking uh, called gaslands the um the documentary about mcdonald's i mean there has been sort of a growth, you know, in that in that aspect in terms of media attention to it, at least right. in the documentary form and on YouTube. Um, right. There's been a lot of that going on.
1: No, absolutely. And I think there's no question that statistically there has been an increase in concentration of wealth, you know, in a smaller percentage of the people. And maybe that's been going on for even, for 10 or even 20 years, that that trend has been going on in our country. Let me ask you something about the calculation of 1%. Are you talking about wealth or income when you talk about the top 1%? Um, we're
0: talking about income, including capital gains, uh, basically. So you're, you're not
1: talking about net worth? Like, for instance, there could be some people who are worth – Ten million dollars and have a hundred thousand dollars a year income. It is possible. So that's sure, that sure.
0: In- but when 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 they're being uh, statistically compiled, they usually focus on the uh, the income. But I understand what you're saying. And again, I'm not an expert on that. I'm not an economics expert, but I do right. know a little bit about it. Yeah.
1: Right. But basically, they're talking about the top one percent of income. I think from what you just said, as opposed to yeah. getting involved in. The the somewhat murky area of net worth and wealth, which is a whole different issue, really. Yes, yes. Because it it doesn't necessarily translate to income. Uh, Okay. Um, What I find really interesting, and I don't dispute at all that the concentration in wealth has increased in a smaller number of hands over the last several years or over the last decade – But the problems that the the overall economy has been experiencing, particularly in the last three years, such as unemployment, inability to create sufficient jobs for college graduates, the housing crisis, is it possible that those two things are unrelated? I only suggest that because it is possible that the economy works on cycles just like everything else. And it's possible that the economy might have cooled down regardless of what anybody did, regardless of the excesses that we experienced. It might have just been a natural cycle. Yet Yet everybody is just automatically equating... Um, the problems that we had with the increase in wealth by a small number of people. And I'm wondering if that's a fair thing or even a logical thing to do. What's your opinion on that?
0: Um, Well, the problems that we have uh, in terms of uh, unemployment and all that, it is cyclical. I mean, it's happened before and it will happen again because I think it's built into capitalism, Um, personally. That's my opinion. However – the income disparity and the number of people surviving on less money globally has increased. Um, the poverty has increased globally, and we are—we're well, all tied into each other. We're on the same markets now, so right. Well, actually, we're, we're just as to- responsible. No, absolutely.
1: Everything is interconnected, but I have to take issue with you because in some of the developing mm-hmm. countries like like India and Brazil, their economies sure. have done extremely well over the last five years, and they're not experiencing the kind of jolts that we are now. They're in a different part of the cycle. For instance, I was yes. just reading an article about Brazil today in terms of the wealth of some of the people in Sao Paulo and the, the real estate market in Sao Paulo, which sounds like if you replayed it If you actually transpose that article to New York City in 2007, it would be the same thing, or even in Florida. So every country is sort of in a different part of the cycle in the world now. Not everybody is suffering from what you're talking about. There are some countries that are actually thriving, and Brazil is definitely one of them.
0: Um, I'm not an expert on Brazil, but uh, I understand they have their own wealth distribution problems as well. Is that not correct? But well, a lot of the wealth they're talking about is only benefiting a small amount of people
1: uh, actually, um they've made a huge effort to, have to look into um, that yeah to to equalize the wealth in Brazil and very successfully over the last five years and they have a they have a, a i believe a socialist president who has done that using capitalism mm-hmm. but They've done a very good job from what I understand, not of completely eradicating poverty, obviously they have a yeah. huge part of the population that's living below the poverty line, but they've made some serious dents in it over the last five or six years. So I, I just pointed that out because I not to not to negate what you're saying in general, but I think it's really it's important to really look at the source of the problems that we have in this country, and we're all interconnected. Yes, but you know we might be in a different part of the economic cycle than other countries in the world right now. Uh, so we might, we might be, be but I don't. I don't
0: know what the future is going to hold. I don't know what's going to happen in Greece. I don't know what's going to happen with the euro. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a well, lot, nobody of, does lot of really. Yeah, a lot of it's speculation at this point. Right. Uh but there is a global crisis going on. I mean, it, there is definitely or-
1: there's definitely um big changes going on globally. You know, it's interesting. I saw an interview with Michael Moore a few days ago and he was talking sure. about his ch- his childhood, growing up, I think in Michigan and his father was an auto worker. Sure, and what he Flint. said was uh he he said that um there was sort of an unwritten contract between the auto workers and the companies where you know his his dad got good health insurance, dental insurance and some type of job security. And in return, you know, the people got rich but they weren't so exorbitantly rich, you know. Yeah. And he was of the mind that his opinion was, well, that's all sort of fallen apart, and there's almost no compact between corporations and their employees, and a lot of employees are treated as disposable today. Yes. And that's probably true in some cases, certainly not in all corporations. There's got to be some enlightened corporations around somewhere. But the point is...
0: Google treats its employees well, for example. Right, exactly, exactly. But
1: what I found interesting was... You know, in in terms of talking about manufacturing jobs, obviously a lot of manufacturing has been shipped to other parts of the world where the cost of labor is less. That's where you get the $2 a day living that you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, in, in some undeveloped parts of the world. But is it really possible to go back to the good old days, certainly with manufacturing? You know, the implication in his interview, in Michael Moore's interview, is that was really the direction – that we should go in and 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 that's what the problem is now but is that really realistic to expect that that's going to happen with the fact you know in a diff- totally different world than 30 or 40 years ago
0: um i don't know if i didn't see the interview so i'm not sure if he meant going back to a manufacturing base i mean i know a lot of our manufacturing is ex, you know uh being done overseas but a lot of it is automated because we have a lot more advanced machinery now um but I do think that there needs to be more investment in our education systems uh to sort of have more scientists and engineers and people that are going to be solving a lot of the problems we have um and be able to get jobs on, uh, from it. This is not uh something that's going to have a solution overnight, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. We have to we have to it's going to take a long time. Um right. but I hope and we also- don't turn Go ahead. Yeah.
1: No, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What, what you were going to say? Um, I was
0: going to say I hope people don't assume oh the economy is going to bounce back and just go back to business as usual because this, right. this isn't just about economics. We're talking about the environment, and the whole which culture, is a huge right. issue. Yeah, uh, the environment is a huge issue right now. Um, renewable Absolutely. sources. I mean, this is this is not a joke. This is. Uh, this is crucial right now
1: right um do you think that one of one of the things that occupied wall street may actually be be uh, a a good um sort of instigator for is to start cultural talking points in other words for people to start talking about the values in this culture and the way yeah. we've been experiencing life because it seems to me that without here again pointing fingers at any one person or institution that, you know, if you and I could agree that, that greed was not just confined to the top 1% but it was pervasive in society and that, you know, that was part of the ethos and maybe that got us to the current situation. Maybe it was just a natural cycle of cooling down. We don't really know. We'll never really know that. But, but if Occupied Wall Street can start a conversation, about some of the values that are really not human-based and human-oriented and just are about accumulation of money, I think Occupied Wall Street would have done a great favor for the American people.
0: I agree 100%. I mean, there was sort of this, uh, at least in America, uh, amongst certain groups, uh, you know, there's sort of that saying, don't talk about religion or politics. And right. uh, people follow that, and I don't think that we should. Um especially not in terms of politics. I mean, we need to discuss this. We need to know what's going on because it affects our lives. And I think we've seen with uh, the way politics has been operating in this country that they're not looking out for our best interests. They are looking out for the people that are paying them a lot of money or that put them in the position they were in because they paid for their campaign. I mean, that's just the way it is. You have right. people uh running a company uh, you know, one minute and then the next minute there's a the vice president overseeing that same company. it's ridiculous.
1: Right. The the there marriage certainly... between
0: corporations and government, uh it it needs to it needs to it needs to stop.
1: Right, or and certainly it needs to be examined on on so many levels. Um, if, yeah. in fact, it's exerting that influence, and it certainly looks like, you know, corporations are exerting huge influences on the political process uh, to the detriment of most people, uh, almost yes. all the people. Um, you know, and, and, and you have to really think about what type of a society are we creating, you know, one that's just where everybody is willing to sell themselves for fame or fortune. Mm-hmm. The answer might be, yeah, that that could be the kind of society that we have created. You know, that people will do anything to get the money, to get more money, to get fame, you know, and... um, It's
0: ridiculous. The culture of fame, I mean, that's even gotten worse. Right. I mean, before, fame used to be a byproduct of success, and now it's the goal. And just like profit, yeah, it's like at any cost. Like, um, you don't even have to do anything. The goal is fame. So you can have a reality show like the Kardashians.
1: Right. Um, Exactly. What are you actually contributing
0: to society?
1: I was I was just gonna say that what type of social benefit could you say that these people are providing? uh yeah we've sort of morphed into a society that's absolutely fascinated by by fame by celebrity and by large amounts of money which is why i think occupied wall street comes at a very interesting time in in american society very very interesting and, and in fact i don't think it could have come at a better time for i for agree 100% alone. because uh, uh you know even if it just opens up a discussion amongst people as to hey why are we spending so much time watching a show like the you know the the real housewives of new jersey or or california or wherever they are <laughs> you know um what is that doing to our sensibilities what's that doing to our value system what does it say to us that we're willing to absorb that kind of energy from people you know and and by the way whether it's been proven or not when you subject yourself to either a movie or a video or a television show, you're absorbing those images, and they're going to make an impact sure. on your psyche, on your value system, how you behave, how you treat other people. All of that is, is impacted by this, this love of fame that we have in this country. And like you said, not success, in the real type of success, but fame as a goal in and of itself.
0: Well I think that goes back to the question of the one percent. You were asking who are they? And uh right. I have a chart here that's showing, you know, most of them are in finance. Uh what are these people providing? What are they producing? What is the financial sector producing? Sorry, I'm well, kinda of asking uh, you a question now.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, If you're asking (laughs) what role the financial sector plays, I can certainly give you my opinion on that. Uh, I I think that it does play a role. For instance, back in 2008, when I think Lehman Brothers was the first institution that was a little bit wobbly, um, it was pretty clear that if the government didn't do something, we would have had a full-blown depression in this country. As it is with the governmental intervention and all the loans that they gave, and I sure. think a lot of the a lot of that money has been repaid. But I I really think that um, uh, we've had a de facto depression. It hasn't been a de- people have been calling it a recession, but in a lot of ways, it's been a de facto depression because people are. The, one,
0: the thing we're going through right now.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, the, I don't know the why the rhetoric has
0: been recession. I think they're exactly. exactly. Like they're afraid to, Yeah. Exactly. I saw they're people on a use food use line the other day. Yeah. I saw people on a food line around the corner from my house with like suits on. I mean. Yeah, I agree. It has yeah. been a depression. So, uh,
1: you know, and and this also sort of segues into not only the value system that we've had in this country up to this point, but the fact that politicians continuously. Lie to the American people and treat them like little babies As if they can't handle the truth I think that's also pretty pervasive in this country um, I don't know if you I agree think with that.
0: The, the Well, I think the reason why they do that Is because they want to continue to get away with it Not because right. they don't think we can handle the truth I mean, um, some countries try to control their population Through shooting them and then in America, we have the manufacturing of consent, which is a popular phrase, uh, where they basically get you to believe that this is in your best interest. And, you know, they they do that lying and, not, and lack of transparency. They get people to agree to it. And then right. everyone sort of says, well, this is a democracy, you know. But I think if right. people knew the truth a lot of the time, they would say, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. I I can't believe this is happening. Well, it's amazing I, how know, many people there are that are still unaware of what's going on. By unaware you know? of what's going on,
1: you're referring to what specifically?
0: Just in general, uh, they just believe whatever they see on the news. and right. Without thinking, um, oh, the news is owned by corporations.
1: So obviously absolutely. they're going to put a... Absolutely. Yeah,
0: uh, let me just get back
1: to your question. I don't think I fully answered it about what role the financial Sorry. sector plays yeah, uh, yeah I was just i I just wanted to express the sentiment that i I thought it was worthwhile to prevent. A really full-fledged depression by intervening to save some of the financial institutions and the large corporations. Uh I wasn't against that and it was such a moment-to-moment process that nobody could really know if it was the right thing at the time. You know, it was just sort of an evolving situation just as this is with Occupy Wall Street. Um, But, you know, when when you look back and say, well, was it fair? Why didn't they bail out me? And I have all these personal loans, but they, you know, bailed out the banks and the corporations. It was a slightly different context, and, you know, um, getting back to whether or not these people in the financial sector deserve to be in the 1%, well, does a movie star deserve to make $20 million to make a picture? Does, Does a basketball player deserve to make $25 million a year or a football player? You know, these are all questions that have... You know, they sort of tie into one another and very few people have really gone beyond the financial sector to question whether people's salaries are justified. But the impact on our society is pretty much the same. Things have gotten out of balance and you know, and out of touch for a lot of people. Things that used to be middle class assurances are now considered luxuries.
0: I'm sorry, could you repeat that last sentence?
1: I said things, things have that gotten- used to be that used to be middle class assurances have now become luxuries. everything's been changed in terms of what's affordable for people, you know what's reasonable to expect, and that's because salaries and the costs of so many things have gotten so out of whack.
0: I agree at the same
1: time <laughs> at the same time that a lot of a lot more people are struggling just to make ends meet. At the other end of the spectrum, the salaries are so way out of proportion. And, you know, you got to wonder. And, and, by the way, I'm not against making money. I'm not against success. I'm not against achievement. But you have to wonder. like That was Hello? a 90-second warning. Yeah, that was just a 90-second warning. Oh, okay. No need to be alarmed. But you have to wonder, does anybody need $25 million a year to live? You know, you really have to wonder about that.
0: Yeah, I just think we need to switch our values. They shouldn't be... Um, How much money can I make? It should be, what am I contributing to society? And uh, how can we sustain ourselves here on this planet? uh, Because, you know, that's the thing to me that is unprecedented. You know, I talk to people who have degrees in history and economics, and they all talk about the cycle, the cycle, the cycle. To me, what's unprecedented is the environmental devastation. Now granted there have been things like Meteors and stuff like that that's Unpreventable but in terms Of preventable disaster I think we're headed in, a real, in the Wrong direction environmentally yeah. And to me Jamie, that's the part I, I, that's unprecedented
1: I totally agree With you Jamie I, I, I don't Mean to cut you off but we're in the last no, Moment we're in the last minute of, of, our, of Our discussion which has Just about flown by uh, For me anyway it's gone so quickly And there's so much more that I would like to um uh, cover about occupied wall street. Is there anything you'd like our listeners to know about uh Occupied Wall Street in ten seconds or less? Anything you want to say? Uh
0: basically if you can come down and see for yourself. Don't believe uh what you right. see on the media. And That's uh great. there's there, and we're doing stuff every day. We're taking action. We're not just uh it's not just talk. Excellent. So, Let well, me uh, thank you
1: so much for, for yep. being a guest we're unfortunately we're out of time and no uh, perhaps we can we can have you on at another time to explore more about occupied wall street as it evolved my guest my guest uh uh Jamie and uh we're just about out of time so thank you so much for appearing on the show
0: no problem thank you for having me good night good night